Praise the Lord. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn to Mark chapter 6 this morning as we continue our study through Mark's gospel, helping people find and follow Jesus. Mark chapter number 6. Brother Joel, thanks for being so dedicated week in and week out to using your talents to help us worship the Lord. I love to hear Brother Joel sing. I'm thankful for how much work he puts in to helping us worship the Lord. What a great Great song that was. Mark chapter 6, we'll be studying verses 7 through 13 today. As I look across the congregation this morning, I know many of you and I know what many of you do for a living. Some of I don't know, of course, but most of you, I know what you do for a living. I began to think in my preparation this last week of all the, the careers and trades that are represented just in our congregation. I could never mention them all. Uh, But I wrote down a few. There's teachers and there's coaches, there's medical workers, first responders, farmers and ranchers. There's those in the transportation business like truck drivers and bus drivers and pilots and dispatchers. There's electricians and linemen, mechanics and contractors, plumbers, landscapers, landlords, lawyers, plant operators, clerks and secretaries. And accountants, full-time ministry workers, business owners, and the hardest working of all, stay-at-home moms. When most of those career choices, in most of those, not all of them I understand, but most of those required some level of training. You usually aren't allowed to just pick a career and jump into it without any kind of hands-on, supervised Training To be a teacher, you, you have to go to four years of college plus have a semester of student teaching where you're being supervised by another teacher. To be a doctor, you have to go to maybe eight years of school, then spend several years of residency by, where, where you spend your days being supervised by other doctors before you can have your own practice. To be an electrician or a lineman, you often have to endure several years of internship and apprenticeship under a journeyman. In fact, my wife and I were uh, in, in our neighborhood and we drove by one of our men, Steve Estala, that, that was working with his crew of linemen there with Southern Pioneer on, uh, I think, Friday afternoon it was. And so we stopped and talked to them and, and he was pointing out, introducing me to different guys on their team. And some were interns and one was an apprentice and some were journeymen. And, and he was explaining that you don't just get to jump up and, and work with those you know, heavy duty electrical lines just because you feel like it. Only squirrels get to do that. <laughs> but most of the time you have to train, you have to be an intern, then an apprentice, and, and then you, you learn under a journeyman. In the same way, um, the 12 disciples were in their apprenticeship. Jesus was their journeyman. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus chose his disciples and immediately began to train them to preach the gospel and to grow his kingdom. We've worked our way all the way up to Mark chapter 6 and now Jesus is going to take the training wheels off. He's going to send them out on their first missionary journey by themselves. But before he does, he's going to sit them down and, and give them a few instructions. He's going to tell them what they need to know in order to be faithful in carrying out his mission. And that's what we're going to learn as a church today. That's what we're going to learn as individual followers of Christ in our text today. What we need in order to remain faithful to Jesus' mission. 
Now let me talk about our mission for the moment, for a minute. It's the same mission that Jesus gave his disciples. Our mission, we word it this way, is to help people find and follow Jesus. We're not just called to be a part of the kingdom of God. We're called to be part of expanding the kingdom of God. Like the disciples, we're saved in order to be sent. Every one of you. Maybe not sent around the world, but sent to your own circle of influence. And when you get to your circle of influence, some it's small, some it's rather large. Whatever your circle of influence, wherever it may be, whatever size it may be, your mission within that circle is not to make money. Your mission within that circle is not to be popular. Your mission within that circle is to help people find and follow Jesus. So then how can you and I be faithful to that mission? Well, what Jesus told the disciples in our text today is going to answer that question. But I need to preface our study before we jump in. Because not everything that Jesus tells his disciples in this text applies to us in the same exact way today. I want to be careful to explain this. It's not a one-in-one comparison across the board. So this text, verse 7 through 13, is not a missionary manual that you could give a young missionary going to a foreign field and say, just do this. And, And that's the case primarily because these 12 men were transitioning into the apostle phase of their ministry. And if you're a Bible believer, you understand that the age of apostleship is behind us now. Because we have the fully written word of God, the full canon of scripture, which, by the way, is enough to solidify the existence of God and the reality of the gospel. We don't need signs and wonders any longer. We have the scripture. But there are still some foundational principles in this text that can be applied to us as a church and as individual followers of Christ that will help us remain faithful to the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. Three things in particular. Let's start in verse seven. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Here's the first point. To stay faithful to the mission, you must be dependent. Dependent, according to our text, primarily on two things. Number one, dependent on God's power. If you notice, verse 7 mentioned that that Jesus sent out his disciples. This is reference to them becoming apostles. That word apostle means sent one or or commissioned one. So now they're Jesus' representatives to a lost world. And what they needed in order to represent him well was his authority. They needed his power. And that's exactly what Jesus gave them. He even mentioned, Jesus did, why they needed his power. It's because they would face unclean spirits. In other words, as they were trying to grow the kingdom by preaching the gospel, by preaching repentance of sins, they would encounter satanic opposition. And this wouldn't have been a surprise to the disciples. In their apprenticeship so far, Jesus has gotten across this truth that that when you try to grow the kingdom, Satan will oppose the kingdom. All the way back in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus stood in front of the Jewish synagogue for the first time and preached the gospel, he faced satanic opposition, a demon-possessed man. And and, and then um, you fast forward to Mark chapter 4, where where Jesus was teaching his disciples about the sower and the seed. You remember we studied that parable together. And Jesus said, "When, when you sow a seed, don't be surprised when the devil tries to come around and snatch the seed of the gospel before it penetrates the soil of the heart. 
And then at the end of Mark chapter 4, when Jesus told his disciples, get in a boat, go to the other side of the sea. I want you to go to Decapolis, which is mainly populated by Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And I want you to preach the gospel and enlarge the, can- the, the, the kingdom beyond just Jewish people. I want you to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. What happened? They encountered a storm that I believe was satanic in nature. And Satan was trying to keep them from getting to the other side so, so that, that they would not be able to reach the demon-possessed man that they reached. And then he wouldn't be able to reach his family and friends and publish how good God had been in his life. So the disciples were very aware that Satan would oppose any type of kingdom growth. And so they knew we need God's power and Jesus knew the same thing. And church, listen closely. We need the same power for the same reason today. Follow this as a church. We will not be able to fulfill our mission of of helping people find and follow Jesus without encountering satanic opposition. We can't expect to bring in over a thousand children in one week during vacation Bible school to hear the gospel, have five of them get saved and Satan not try to oppose us. We can't expect to see over 30 baptized and join our church just since the beginning of this year alone and Satan not try to oppose us. We can't expect to see growth in literally every one of those growth steps in the first quarter of ministry and Satan not try to oppose us. We can't expect to invest in our young people by taking over 50 teenagers to youth camp this next week and 25 elementary students the week after that and Satan not try to oppose us. When we're on mission for Jesus, we will face our own unclean spirits and that's why we need to be in a posture of dependence upon God. Even as individual disciples, you must remain dependent on God as you try to be a sent one to your circle of influence. Because where God sends you, Satan opposes you. That means before you go to your personal mission field at work, and that's what it is, by the way. Before you go to your family, that might be your mission field. Or your Friday night peer group. Your mission field might be right here on a Sunday morning fulfilling your ministry. You know what you ought to do? Humble yourself in a posture of dependence upon God. Claim the promise of his presence and power in your life as you represent him to a lost world and pray for his help to resist satanic opposition as you're trying to expand the kingdom of God. It's interesting what Jesus said next because in order to keep them in a posture of dependence, Jesus gave them a very unique instruction and said, when I send you out, you can't even take hardly anything with you. I want to explain that. Look at verse eight and nine. And Jesus commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only. No script, no bread, no money in their purse. By the way, men carried purses back then. But be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. Now, I told you that not everything is a one-on-one comparison, right? And I know my wife is really thankful that not everything Jesus told the disciples in the text applies to us today because... If following Jesus means that we have to pack light, my wife's not interested. (laughs) But why did Jesus instruct his disciples to only take a staff and sandals? They couldn't even take common provisions. Here's why. Because it would cause them to be in need. And Jesus knew if they were in a position of need, they would be in a posture of dependence upon him to meet that need. 
See, oftentimes we view times of need as completely negative and we try to escape those seasons of need as soon as we possibly can. But hear me close. I believe with all my heart that, that your deepest need can actually become a gift from God when it drives you to depend on Jesus. In fact, I believe that God often intentionally places us in a position of need in order to keep us in a posture of dependence. Here's why, because he knows that the disciples that depend on him is the disciple who's most effective in carrying his mission out. It's not just dependence on God's power that Jesus said they would need. It's also dependence on each other. Look at the first part of verse seven. Don't miss this principle. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two. Jesus sent out six groups of two. He didn't send out twelve groups of One. Why? Here's why. Because when it comes to evangelism and outreach, the disciples needed help. They needed companionship, support. They needed accountability. The the idea was even carried out. If you study the book of of Acts, you'll, you'll find that the church of Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas. And it was Paul and Silas. The point is very clear that fulfilling Jesus' mission is not something we're supposed to do by ourselves. How many have ever seen the Survivor show on TV called Alone? It's on the History Channel. Okay, a couple of you have seen that. What they, it's, it's wild. They, they, they take 10 men and they throw them into the Canadian wilderness. It's awful. Cold, rainy. I mean, I won't even camp out at Mead Lake. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't be on that show whatsoever. Um, there's wild animals. They have to provide their, their own uh, shelter and, and their food. Now, if at any moment they, they wanted to get out of the competition, they have a radio and they can quit and they'll come get them. And, and the point uh, and the objective of, of, of this game, the survivor game, is the last man standing wins and he gets a half a million dollars. What's interesting is that the men in these competitions don't even have a cameraman to hang out with. They have to interview themselves. And during the interviews, these grown men, and you know, if you're going to sign up for this show, you've you got to be like a man's man, right? You've got to be able to grow a beard really long. You're not supposed to cry. You've got to be real strong. These men are broken. I mean, they are frazzled. They're, they're, like, they're like teenage boys that just got dumped. That's, that's what they look like. They're desperate. They're an emotional. Here's why. Here's why they get that way. Not mainly because life in the wilderness is hard. But because life in the wilderness all alone is hard. Everything becomes more difficult when you're by yourself. And it's not any different when it comes to living on mission. Helping people find and follow Jesus. Listen to me. It's not a solo sport. It's a team event. I read a book called Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks for Jesus. It has a paragraph, and I want to read to you because I think it's, it's very helpful in this point. The author said, evangelism is scary, and I don't like doing scary things by myself. Sure, there's that rare person who's uninhibited by sharing their faith. But if you ask most people what hinders their evangelism, the, the vast majority will tell you that it's fear. Fear of rejection, fear of looking stupid, fear of being lumped into a weird stereotype. So why do something scary and difficult by yourself, he asked. Believers should band together and evangelize the lost with other believing friends who will pull you along. Think of the benefits of community evangelism. 
We hold one another accountable. We strengthen our mutual resolves. We learn from one another. We rejoice together in success and cry together over failure. He says it just makes sense to share our faith alongside our friends. Isn't that good? That's why the Great Commission is given to a church, not just individuals. We're to reach our community and our world together. So when it comes to remaining on mission, church, listen, we need to depend on God and on each other. Notice the second thing that will help us remain faithful to the mission. Verse 10 and 11. And he said unto them, in what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. To stay faithful to the mission, you must be dependent and secondly, persistent. In verse number 10, Jesus is giving them a, kind of a logistical uh, detail. He, he's given them a command to stay in one house until the evangelism in that location is finished. Don't bounce around from house to house, house uh, uh, appearing to be freeloaders. Just, just find a house that will host you, Jesus says, and stay there until the work in that town or that region is done. But then he says in verse 11... He talks about this scenario in which the disciples try to share the gospel with somebody, but they get rejected. And Jesus tells them what to do in that case. In essence, he tells them this, simply move on. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. Persist and go to the next house. And Jesus didn't just teach this with his word. He actually exemplified this to him. Look up at verse six of chapter six, which we studied two weeks ago. It says, and Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And what did Jesus do? And went round about the villages teaching. Don't miss this detail. Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth to, to, to hopefully convince him that he was indeed the son of God, the Messiah. But instead of having home court advantage, he had home court disadvantage, remember? And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty works there. And they, they probably died in their lost state, many of them. But Jesus didn't get discouraged. Jesus didn't pout. Jesus, Jesus didn't stay there even. Jesus said, I'm just going to move on. I'm going to simply lead them to the judgment of God. I've shared with them the gospel. I've revealed to them myself, but they are rejecting me. But I must persist. And Jesus says this. He says, shake the dust off your feet. What does that mean? Well, the idea of the disciples shaking the dust off their feet was symbolic. It was traditional. Jews in that day after they had traveled to Gentile land, would literally clean their sandals before they stepped back into Jewish territory so as not to bring pagan dust into holy ground. Same thing I do when I go to Texas and then come back to Kansas. <laughs> Take off my shoes. Spray down my tires on my car. You know what I mean? Coming out of Parrotton on 83 and you come back, I just pull over. Right before I get, you know, you've been there? Yeah, Oklahoma isn't as bad, but Texas is terrible. <laughs> Jesus is basically telling his disciples the same thing. When people reject the gospel, shake it off, move on, lead them to the judgment of God. The idea, listen here, that Jesus is trying to get across to us is that our efforts to help people find and follow Jesus will not always be successful. Sometimes we'll be rejected. I spend my summers, the last two summers at least, coaching a 10 and under baseball team. And you would think that the most difficult part about coaching those little boys 
would be teaching them the fundamentals of the sport. But that's not the most difficult part I have. The most difficult part about teaching these boys baseball is the idea of persistence. Because when they strike out, they think it's the end of the world. They think they'll never have an opportunity to pick up another bat in their life. Even though they'll get three or four at bats. If they strike out, you know what I got to do? Keep them from crying. Or throwing a batting helmet. Or tossing their bat down like that. Or walking back out in the field moping and in self-pity. I've got to teach those boys that in, that, that in Cooperstown, in the Hall of Fame, the best men to ever play the sport of baseball failed 75% of the time. The best hitters to ever play the game only hit the ball, Brother Mike, three out of every ten times. I mean, I'm better than that. <laughs> City League softball, the batting cages. Three for ten. And they, they're the best players to ever play the game. Why? Because they learn that you will strike out. It's part of the game. But get back in the batter's box. And the same thing is true in our efforts to help people find and follow Jesus. Hear me. We will strike out sometimes. Those strikeouts look different. Sometimes a strikeout looks this way. No. It's just outright, clear, no. Sometimes they'll tell you, yes, I'll go to church and just never show up. Strikeout. Sometimes they won't tell you no outright, but as soon as you share the gospel with them or invite them to church, they'll distance themselves from you so you can't have that talk with them again. Strike out. Sometimes I found that good, well-meaning Christians, church members strike out even in their ministry here. You'll be investing your life into somebody, just trying to help them find and follow Jesus, whether it be a, a child in children's church or, or, or a child that rides on our bus routes or, or a student at Fellowship Baptist Academy or a person that you're taking through first steps and you're just trying to help them take their next growth step. Somebody that you're befriending and, and trying to make feel welcome in the fellowship family. And even though you've given it your best effort, that person might still fizzle out. Every Tuesday afternoon, our pastoral staff has a staff meeting. And one of the very first items on our agenda every single week is to look at the connect cards that were filled out that previous Sunday. I'll have you, I'll ask all our guests to fill them out today. And, and we try to be intentional in following up on those guests and stewarding their visit here. And what I have found is, is that we tend to strike out a lot with that. I'm just being real honest with you. People fill out a connect card and we try to follow up. And, and it, I don't know, maybe only three times out of ten do I feel like we connect with the ball. Get kind of discouraging after a while. I found in our own church, Brother Mike, that we plan and execute really, really good outreach events. But afterwards it seems like maybe nobody comes to church as a result. All the money, all the time, all the preparation, all the volunteer labor. And it's like, man, do we strike out on that one? And it makes me ask this church, why would people reject the gospel? Why would they say no to our best efforts in inviting them to know Jesus? Here's why. Because our message is a message of repentance. Jesus nor the disciples were preaching a self-help gospel. They were not preaching a health and wealth gospel. Verse 21 says they were preaching that men should repent. Their message was simple. In order to turn to the gospel alone for salvation, you must first turn from anything other than the gospel to save you. 
Our message today is the same. That means for our friends and our co-workers and our community to come to salvation, they must first repent and turn from their own traditions or their own idols and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Last time I checked, people don't like that message very much. Brother Andrew, they like the fun vacation Bible school. They like the carnival and the candy. They like the trunk or treat. They like the music. They like the children's ministry, like like the free daycare and nursery. But they don't really like being called to turn from their wicked ways. Or turn from their trusting in idols or anything other than Jesus to save them. And here's the truth that we have to understand in face of this reality. Listen, when our message and our efforts are rejected, we can't quit. We've got to learn how to shake it off. We've got to learn how to move on. We have to learn how to stay faithful in the mission even when we don't see visible results. Here's why. Because just like in baseball, every once in a while we'll connect with the pit. Every once in a while our gospel message will find residence in a soft heart. Maybe only three out of every ten tries. But every once in a while we'll see a life change. Every once in a while a bus kid will get saved, grow up in our church and become a pastor or become a deacon or become a connection group leader or a bus worker themselves. Every once in a while a co-worker will actually say yes to your invite and actually come to church, get saved and eventually get baptized and become a thriving church member. Every once in a while the person that you befriend at church and invest your life into will not just appreciate your friendship but they'll welcome your spiritual influence. Every once in a while the church event that you volunteered for that took so much of your time and so much of your energy will yield the salvation of a lost soul and make it all worth worth it. We just have to keep on stepping into the batter's box. We got to keep on swinging. Is anybody in here today? We got to keep on sharing and we got to keep on preaching and we got to keep on investing and we got to keep on praying and we got to keep on inviting. We must persist. We can't quit. Have you quit? Have you quit? Your toes full of dust. Your sandals got mud all over them. Represents the rejection of the family members you tried to lead to Christ. Represents the co-workers that have stood you up the last two Easter Sundays. Represents the Saturday's bus visitation that you invite a bus kid to come and they don't. Represents all the effort and no results. Shake it off. The mission is bigger than your feelings. And there is somebody that needs you. And so don't be annoying, merciless, or ungracious. But shake the dust off your feet. Lead them to Jesus. And go on and get another one. We got to be dependent. We got to be persistent. Look at verse 12 and 13 and we'll be done. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Would you look at that first phrase of verse 12 again? And they went out. You've got to be dependent, persistent, and obedient. It's amazing to me that Jesus was so clear to them on the negative aspects or consequences of their mission. 
hey guys, you can't take anything because I need you in a posture of need constantly. Well, that's great. Oh, by the way, a lot of people will tell you no and reject you. That's wonderful. Yet, what did they do in verse 12? They went out. It's kind of like the commercials on TV for various medications. The visual message of the commercial is teaching me that I can take this medicine and have a wonderful quality of life. Visually, I see people riding bicycles. I see couples soaking it up with their soulmate on the beach. It's really weird. The narrative is different than the visual, though, because the narrative is full of warnings about potential side effects of the medication, which leaves me scratching my head every time asking this question. You ready? I ask myself this. Do I want quality of life enough to risk the fatal side effects of this drug? And listen, that's the decision we're left to make as followers of Christ. Oh, there will be a verse 13 sometimes. You get that right. There will be success and results and change lives. But do you understand the side effects of being faithful to Jesus' mission are very, very clear. Rejection and opposition and failure. So we're left to ask ourselves this question. Is the potential of changed lives worth the risk of rejection? Is obedience to the mission worth the risk of failure? Can I answer that question for you? Yes. I said, can I answer that question for you? Yes. One bus kid that gets saved and stays in church as an adult is worth the many bus kids that rejected that opportunity. Two or three people that come to church and hear the gospel as a result of our two church-wide outreaches every year is worth the 4,000 people that got an invite on their door but rejected it. One family member, one co-worker that accepts Christ because of your influence on their life is worth the several that chose to distance themselves from you after you told them about Jesus. One person, one couple that decides to commit to church memberships as your result and efforts and influence them through our First Steps program is worth the three or four before that who eventually fizzled out. I'm saying church, yes, yes. Yes, the potential of changed lives is worth the risk of rejection. I'm saying yes, the obedience to Christ's mission is worth the risk of failure. That's why we can't afford to just talk about evangelism. We can't afford to just pray about evangelism. We can't afford to just read about evangelism or plan for evangelism or preach on evangelism. At some point, we got to take our staff. We got to put on our sandals. We got to leave the comfortable chair we occupy every Sunday morning. We got to build relationships with lost sinners and love them to Jesus at some point we have to obey stop talking about it stop reading books about it stop coming to the altar saying I'm sorry for not doing it and going back and living the same exact way go to work tomorrow and invite someone to church go to work tomorrow And don't treat sinners as though there's some kind of poison in your workplace. Rub shoulders with them. Relate with them. Love them. Care for them. Encourage them. Pray with them. And see how God brings a harvest into your life. Don't just come to church and fulfill your ministry so you can check off the box that, yeah, I was there. Come to church to actually try to help somebody find and follow Jesus.
I want to close with just a simple quote, but powerful from, from really an historical, I would call him a hero. Some just call him a figure of the faith, Charles Spurgeon. I love this. So God save us from living in comfort while sinners are sinking into hell. Brethren, do something. Can you hear him saying this? Do something. Do something. While committees are wasting their time over resolutions, do something. While unions are making constitutions, do something. Too often we discuss and discuss and discuss while Satan laughs in his sleep. Our one aim is to save sinners, and this we are not merely to talk about, but to obey in the power of God. God, give us the heart of Mr. Spurgeon. We discuss and discuss and discuss, but we never share, share, share. How long has it been since you can truly say that you were faithful to the mission? How long has it been since you had a real life gospel conversation with a lost sinner? How long has it been since you sat at a table with a sinner and loved them where they were? How long has it been since you came to church and it wasn't just about you? It's about the person sitting by themselves. You didn't just go to your pew or your chair. You went to somebody else's. When's the last time You opened up your Bible and said, can I show you how to get to heaven? When's the last time? Well, pastor, don't we pay you to do that? Nah. Jesus commissioned me to do that. And Jesus has commissioned you and sent you to do it too. You might not have a platform or a pulpit, but you have a circle of influence. You have a mission field. It might be one. It might be a hundred. You might not be able to take a Bible, but you can take your mouth, you can take your life, take your testimony, take your heart into a lost world. Hear me, if every one of us would be the faithful to the mission this week, could you imagine what God might do with that obedience? He'll bless it. If you agree with the Bible, say amen. Amen. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.